Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political uh, that talks about our societal culture while bridging the gap with the sports culture of things. I still don't know the perfect description for this podcast now since I don't really talk about that much about politics. Uh, but anyways, welcome to the OJ Tucker podcast. Great to see you guys uh, again. There's a little bit of news that we can get into today in terms of news outside of tennis world. I do want to discuss Madame Webb. I did watch the film. I did watch Madame Webb. And um, it's as bad as what people are saying. Um, There's a lot of things that that I want to discuss about the film. Are there positives in the film? Yes. But it's mostly through semantics. It's not really anything that that structural wise that I can give a compliment to um, it's mostly negatives to the film uh, but there are positives to the film there are there are some good points in the film that I did enjoy I mean the IIS were playing uh, during the first act of the film uh, when they were in, in the ambulance scene when they when they were when, when Dakota Johnson's driving in the ambulance the IIS were playing so that that's a good thing uh, there's a can of Mountain Dew red code red which, if you guys don't know, this movie takes place in 2003. So I'm like, oh, that's crazy. I didn't know they had Mountain Dew Code Red can in 2003. When I think about the early 2000s, I usually think about Mountain Dew Livewire. But, hey, that's a good thing as well, you know. Uh, but it really stops there. Because um, it's it's not a good film. Madame Web is not a, a film that you should really watch and, and really um, take in. Because there's a lot of inconsistencies with the plot, with the character development. Um, just an overall bad film. This is just a bad film. And I think we are entering into a period of really horrible superhero movies that is eerily reminiscent of, say, the early 2000s superhero movies. And it's not a good sign and it's not a good look. And hopefully it works out for the best because right now it seems as if the profits from anyone but you will cover the cost of Madame Web. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I do not know. Uh, but when you think about the amount of money that was spent on this movie, $80 million was spent on this movie. That's a lot. Especially for how bad the CGI was in this film, that's a lot. So we'll talk about Madame Web, and I'll give you my real thoughts about it, because uh, I, I did leave a lot of bullet bullets in, in terms of this film. Um, yeah, I do, and I do want to discuss Chris Tuckman's non-review review of the film because there was a lot of discussion on it online about like, oh, he should have actually gave it a review and should have been hard on the on the filmmakers for for making such a bad film. And just because you give a bad score to a film, that doesn't mean that you hate the people that are involved in it. You just want to make it better. I get all that. I understand all that. But at the same time, I do understand from Stuckman's position that hey, he was a filmmaker at one point. I don't know if he still is a filmmaker, but at one point he was a filmmaker. So I'm sure he must understand the challenges of, of creating a film that can sort of satiate and satisfy not only the audience that is going out to see the movie, but also the studio execs that have to make a film that is also financially good as well you know and and that can please them as well the corporate suits in the office so i do want to discuss stuckman's non-review of the film as well uh i also in terms of news within the tennis world i want to discuss nadal and alcaraz are scheduled scheduled to play on march 3rd this is a exhibition of friendly that will be taking place on netflix so that is 
good for the sport. I think it's it's good to see more people watch the sport and get more eyeballs on the sport. And yes, it, it definitely beats having it on like the Tennis Net channel or or on uh, ESPN Domingo or wherever they have tennis matches now. Uh, but uh, it's good. It's awesome. It's I, I think it's great to see Nadal and Alcross play against one another on March 3rd. Uh, I'm sure they're going to get a boatload of money. And um, yeah, overall, I think it's nice. But at the same time, when I see news like this, it makes me realize that, oh, maybe like tennis isn't doing as well as I would have hoped for. Because if you are a good league, say like the NBA or the NFL or not even that, not even like the top two, just the NHL or the MLB, I don't think you have to resort to this level where you have to have like an exhibition or a friendly. Obviously, this is nothing new for tennis, right? We've seen it before and we'll see it again. We know we've seen it with Federer and Nadal when they were playing on the best of their services, Federer with grass, Nadal on clay. We saw it with who else? We, we saw it with Billie Jean King back in the 70s uh, when she played um, and, and, you know, really did her, her thing for women's rights and for, you know, you know, uh, equality for women in sports. I thought that was awesome as well. Um, you know, so there's been a, a bullet of times where we've seen friendlies and exhibitions being played of this nature, but not at this level. Uh, not at a level in which it's being aired on a streaming service on Netflix. Um, obviously, I do have my thoughts on it. I think it would be a little bit better if it would happen on YouTube instead. Um, not that I'm anti-Netflix or anything. I, I don't think that that's not what it is. I just think it's better... To have Nadal and Alcaraz being played on YouTube so that more people can watch it, that's easily accessible for anyone, as long as they have that link, that YouTube link. Um, I think it might be better if it's done through that department as opposed to like Netflix. But I do think that Netflix adds sort of like the the blue check mark to your event. You know, it's the ver- it's the verification badge for your event. So I do have my thoughts on it, and I'll do I will break it down later. Uh, but yeah, overall, my thought, those are my thoughts on that, and I'll obviously break it down later. Uh, but first, let's talk about some tennis. So Yannick Sinner wins ATP Rotterdam against Alex Demonar as he beats Alex Demonar 7-5-6-4 in straight sets. This was an interesting match. Uh, obviously, Fritz and Paul were scheduled to play yesterday at the Delray Beach Open, but unfortunately, it was like a rainout or a washout, so they rescheduled to today at 12, 12.30 p.m. Um, so I'm excited for that. Hopefully, the Americans bring it. But overall, the NX Center wins ATP Rotterdam and just adds more to an already great year. 2024 is the NX Center's year. Uh, before I resume with the discussion, I want to say my apologies uh, for not having a podcast on Thursday. There's just a lack of topics. And for me personally, this is something that I like to do on a leisurely level. You know, <laughs> I, I don't, I, if you've noticed throughout a bunch of these episodes, I've put in $0.00. Uh, for advertising. I've not accepted a single penny for this podcast. So uh, I want to be very clear here. I'm not really making it. I'm not making anything at all with this podcast. So this is just something for fun. And uh, I'm doing this on President's Day because I truly enjoy it. Uh, But at the same time, there was just a lack of topics. And I said to myself, okay, if I'm filming on Monday, that should cover the, the missed episode. So my apologies on that, but hey, you know, I'm not really doing anything with this podcast. Okay, I'm not making any money. I'm not really making any money out of this podcast. So that that's something that I want to say off the off the bat. But uh, 
Overall, he adds to his illustrious 2024 year. Uh, he won Australian Open earlier this year, and he he's won Rotterdam. And I think right now he is in discussion with the likes of Alcaraz and Medvedev. And I think that is what will be the case until he can break out and win his second or even third Grand Slam and sort of put himself apart from those other players. Um, you know, he's 16-1 in 17 sets against Diminar. He uh, Diminar's 0-7 against Sinner. Um, this was a win for Sinner after his loss of the Rotterdam final against Medvedev last year. Again, this was just great for Sinner. Uh, I thought it was amazing, ama- amazing match for Sinner, and he really showed that he can compete at a level like Rotterdam. Even though it's an ATT 250 event, ATT 500 event, he's still able to compete at that level against competition like Deminar and still succeed against Deminar, as if we already don't know that already. Um, so anyways, heading into the first set, um, Sinner really did well in terms of aggressive baseline play. Um, he was able to get Deminar to bait in certain instances. Um, most of them, uh, most of these players... Um, were able to break fairly consistently, both Sinner and Deminar. Um, both would get the break at certain points in this match. But what really allowed Sinner to get the better of Deminar was the fact that Deminar would often get to the nets. And because of that, Sinner would then be able to hit amazing passing shots. And that was what allowed Sinner to get ahead on Deminar was because of that reason. Uh, there are other reasons as, as, as to why that's the case as well. Um, there were times, especially at the at the back end of the first set, where uh, Deminar could have done a little bit better job at returning serve. Uh, even though he he did break at one point to, get, to make it 5-all, he still could have had that ability to break to make it 6-all. Uh, which, uh, sorry, to, to, to hold to make it 6-all. Um, which wasn't really the case. Um, so maybe not so much returning serve, more so holding serve. Um, but yeah, let's get right into the first set. So uh, before I actually get into the tennis, I do want to say uh, I was watching the British feed for this. Uh, I don't know why, but I was watching the British feed for this. And um, they really overhyped the walkout for both players. So both players walk out, Sinner walks out, um, and... Um, Deminar walks out, and they were just like, oh my god, this is an amazing moment for tennis. It is absolutely electrifying. They are walking out on this momentous occasion, and they are going to take the courts. And I'm like, how is it electrifying? There, there's there's nothing about this that screams like, this is amazing. Like, they're walking out, and music's playing. All right, this is not the UFC. This is not Israel... Israel Adesanya Stylebender walking out to Lincoln Parks. Okay, this is not that. This is not Paulo Costa walking out of UFC 298 with the Matrix theme song being played. It's not that. If if it, if it was the case like that, then sure, obviously that would make sense. But it's tennis here. Like they're playing out to some generic music that won't be sued for copyright. Like that that's the music that that they're coming out to. It's not amazing. It's not electrifying. It's not, you know, an elegant experience of the tennis creation. I don't know I don't think they said that. I'm probably putting words in their mouth, but it this is not electrifying. Stop it. I, I understand it. We wanna sell tennis. I understand all that. 
but there are better ways to do it and that's not one of the that's not one of the one of those moments that you do it okay it's not electrifying it's an atv 250 event all right know your role it's akin to a ufc qualifier if not Maybe, maybe more so a Bellator qualifier. Um, it's not something that, you know, you got to hype up. Okay, just let them take the court. Don't hype it up. It's a little too weird. But uh, anyway, so let's get into the first set, as always, uh, with AT250 events. I'm not really going to break down the uh, minutia of things. No, I'm going to break down the game by game basis. But there are certain, there are liner notes that I do want to give. There are notes I do want to give about the first set. So if center breaks for us to make a 3-2, as Demino drop shot doesn't go over the net. Overall, he really set up the momentum and tempo of the match really well with this. Um, again, being able to break a 3-2 really sets things up. And if Sinner was able to continue to compete at that level... Um, with that break at 3-2, we would have seen this match end at 6-3-6-4 at most. Uh, or end, the, end this at 6-3-6-4 at most. Uh, unfortunately, that wasn't really the case. Um, we would see... You know, we would see Demonar really come, make a comeback, you know, at 5-4 as he would be, be able to break again at 5-all. Um, but again, still good tennis by center early on. Setting the momentum straight, uh, allowing Demonar to make mistakes. Uh, the first point of the match was a near 30 to 40 shot rally, which I thought would be essentially a recurring thing, a, re a reoccurring theme with the match, which is just long, extensive rallies. Yes, there were long, extensive rallies, but not to the extent that I thought that it would happen. Um, but there was uh, one extensive rally that happened in which Demonar would get the break, which uh, I'll explain right now. Demonar would get the break back as a 30-40 shot rally by the two ends with Sinner uh, dive backhand not going anywhere to make a 5-all. It was more sort of a, of a reactionary backhand at the baseline that allowed Sinner, uh, excuse me, that allowed Demonar to really get back at him to make a 5-all. And again, I thought that was really nice and, and, and uh, poignant by Demonar. And if he continued to play like that throughout the rest of the match, we would have seen a different result by Demonar. Unfortunately, that just wasn't the case for him. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, really good uh, break for Demonar. Uh, really set things up for him. And again, as we all know, Dimonar is not the most... He's not the luckiest guy to play against against uh, Sinner. He just isn't. Uh, again, he's 0 for 7 against Sinner. He's six, he's 1 in 16 in the last 17 cents uh, against Sinner. Uh, it's not good. It, this, this, these are not good records for Dimonar to have. They're just not. Uh, passing shot down the line, backhand by Sinner gets in the break again to make it 6-5. Um, and then Sinner, Sinner's ace would get him the hole to make it 7-5. Uh, overall, as I've said before, Sinner's passing shots were really good in this first set. Uh, Demonor has a few good drop shots, and yes, they were they were good at times. But again, uh, when you get to the net and when you're uncertain with what to do, that can be your biggest threat. When you're up by the net, and when you're unconfident or when you're shaky, you know, that's when, when mistakes can happen. And we've seen it from time and time again, you know, with other players. And we saw it in this match with Dimonar. When you get to the net and when you're uncertain with what to do, that can create issues and problems throughout the entirety of the match. And um, I think we saw that in real time in that first set. I think we did. So anyways, let's get into... The second set, shall we? So, more, 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 
So the second set was more or less the same as the first set. I think that's that's important to state out loud. Uh, the second set was more or less the same as the first set. Uh, two all advantage, Deminar, another insane rally to make it do for center, which again shows the willpower and the determination of center. That despite being down an advantage, he was still was able to go back to deuce. And I think in a lot of ways that shows you the willpower, that shows you the heart to win. Uh, that isn't really there with other tennis players. Um, center's break at 3-2 off of a forehand by Deminar is dead in the net. Uh, so, again, Deminar's forehand dead in the net, which is sort of a reoccurring thing with Deminar uh, throughout the match. But uh, the fact that Center would get the break at 3-2, um, I think, is amazing. I mean, again, it's—I mean, we're talking about deja vu uh, with the first set. It's basically the first set— but done so in a way where center does not get broken later on in the in the, in the set. You know that's basically what the second set was. Uh, Deminar uh, would break back on a swing volley to make it three all. Um, Deminar return serve goes long as center would hold to win the match seven five six four. Um, there are a lot of things that I I don't really remember <laughs> in this in the second set because I was just looking I was just watching the second set thing myself. This feels like the first set. <laughs> you know, this feels like the first set. Uh, but overall, congrats to Sinner on the win. He's got his retribution after losing to Medvedev in the Rotterdam final last year. Uh, he's now 7-0 against Diminar. Uh He is 16-1 and 17 sets against Diminar. And overall, this was just great. Sinner, Sinner really showed you just how great he is at the baseline in this match. Uh, with those passing shots that happened in that second set, as well as well as in that first set as well, uh, it re- really reminded me of Rublev back in 2021. If you remember the Rotterdam final of 2021, I wouldn't say the passing shots were similar because there weren't that many passing shots, but I do think that his poise, his aggressiveness at the baseline, it was very reminiscent of Rublev at the 2021 Rotterdam final. Um, so. Overall, this was just a nice, well-played match by Sinner. Hopefully, we're able to see more of these matches happen in the future. Um, obviously, with the French Open, I don't know if he's the favorite to win because you still have Djokovic, you still have Alcaraz, and when they're in the mix, it's hard to really quantify it or gauge it. Um, but even for Wimbledon, you got um, Djokovic, which is easily the, the clear-cut favorite to win Wimbledon, uh, as we all know, because when you have Djokovic playing, he's got to be the clear-cut favorite. Uh, but overall... Nice match, solid match for center, and hopefully we'll see more of these matches in the future for center. Uh, that that I hope can happen. Hopefully we can be able to watch center play illustrious tennis further on in the into the courts. I just like how British people have the need to like just put in these like big big words when they when they really don't need to do it. Like I get it. Like tennis is like the upper middle class upscale sport. I get it. I understand all that. Right, Fred Perry. Uh, Rene Lacoste, I understand all that, but come on, like let's let's make sure that you know we can be a little bit more realistic, okay? What a marvelous evening we we're watching tonight as we watch two amazing players take onto the courts. <laughs> I don't know. I just I, I know I'm I'm laughing like Jimmy Carr here, despite me making fun of British people, but uh, um. I, I just don't get it. I, I really don't get it. There's no reason to to hype it up to this extreme value, okay? It's basically like the G League. This is this game, this match, it was, was the equivalent to a G League game or just a regular season game between, like, the Pistons and the Lakers, all right? 
or the Clippers and the Pistons. I mean, pick take your you pick the best player you can possibly pick and pick the worst player you can possibly pick. Okay, that's what it felt like. It felt like watching I don't know. Uh the the Buffalo Bills take on the New England Patriots of this year. That's what it felt like. You know, it felt like that. So stop it. Like, okay, stop stop hyping it up, okay? Especially when they're coming out to like some YouTube generating music that has no copyright infringement attached to it okay stop it it's just stop it um anyway so let's get into our next topic in tennis so nadal and all across are playing march through on netflix uh this was announced on netflix and through the, uh i think this was also written up on the today show as well on today.com but uh netflix uh tweeted out the following the legend and the prodigy meet again Rafa Nadal and Carlos Alcross face off in the Netflix Slam, served live from Las Vegas, March 3rd, 12.30 Pacific Time, 3.30 Eastern Standard Time. Um, quite early, I'm not going to lie. That's a, that's a quite early, that's quite an early match. Uh, I don't know if I feel like it's necessary for the match to be played that early, right? If you're... That, I think that's one of the issues with this match is that it's being played so early. If it was being played at 8 or 9, I, that makes sense because, hey, it's happening in America. You got to make sure that people are, are tuning in to watch it. Again, when it's happening at 3.30 Eastern time on March 3rd. Again, I got to look at the calendar here. But if March 3rd lands on a, on, on a work day, then I, I, I fail to see... Oh, it's happening on, on a Sunday. Okay, so that's that's good, I guess. But again... Sunday is Sunday, especially in the afternoon. People are not free. I mean, people are not free to watch it. Okay, people are out and about. They're doing things. I don't know. Maybe they're getting ready for spring cleaning. I don't know. Maybe like they're going to watch some movies. I don't know what movie they'll watch because every movie in the in the movie right in the movie theater right now stinks. Whether it's Madame Web or Argyle, uh, but. I, I don't know what they're gonna watch or what they will do, but usually, like when it's post football. People aren't really free uh, on Sundays. They just aren't. They're busy doing things outside, having fun, you know, getting ready for spring springtime. I mean, I don't know what people do during during this, these times of, of the year, but um, I don't know if 3.30 is sufficient. I think you got to have it later on, you know, make it like 8 or 9, you know, hype it up, you know, maybe even make it on a, on a Monday or Tuesday night, you know, you know, competed with The Bachelor, you know, um, just so that people can watch it. You know, I think that's the the most important thing or the more important thing that can really be like said is that make sure that people are watching it. You know, I don't think people are watching it at 3.30. Again, I don't know. I'm sure Netflix has some kooky, kooky dookie, you know, algorithm that's that, that they have in their disposal that they're they're looking at thinking, okay, what when do sporting events do well? And I'm sure they pick 3.30 Eastern time, which, again, makes sense if they have an algorithm. Uh, but, again, I don't know. Maybe have it later in the in the, in the, in the day. Um, I first heard about it because I know Kay Adams tweeted about it. And if you guys don't know Kay Adams, she runs, like, that Up and Adams show on FanDuel. Um, yeah, it's, that, that's how I found out about it. So, uh, really good on tennis uh, for, for really promoting uh this event you know really good on their part for doing this um but uh anyways uh here's the today.com article about it uh so tennis legends andre agassi andy roddick jim courier mary joe fernandez and patrick McEnroe provide commentary on and off the court 
During the Netflix slam, retired tennis star and current analyst Prakash Amritaj will also serve as a commentator alongside sports journalist Kay Adams. So I'm excited to see Prakash Amritaj wear a very small uh, polo to accentuate his muscles, which he always does. For some reason, every time I see him on the tennis network, on the tennis channel, he always does that. I'm like, dude, like we understand you lift. You don't need to like show it off. Okay, it's tennis. Okay, there's no reason. There's no purpose for that to happen okay you don't i mean there's a reason why the majority of tennis players aren't built like that because there's no purpose or point to it um but anyways i like precaution with touch i'm not gonna lie I, I like him uh those who stream the event in spanish will hear commentary from tennis greats feliciano lopez and david ferrer david ferrer as well as actor and television presenters santi milan uh, this marks the streaming platform's second live sporting event after the, the hosting after hosting the Netflix Cup, a live golf exhibition match in November. I remember that because Burt Kreischer actually tackled down a protester, which I thought was hilarious. Um, but um, yeah, the Netflix Cup, uh, a live golf exhibition match in November. Nadal and Alcaraz, who are both from Spain, have faced each other three times before in singles. In their first meeting at the Madrid Open in May 2021, Nadal easily won in two sets. They met again at the Indian Wells Masters in March 2022, and Nadal earned another win, this time in three sets. Their last match was at the Madrid Open in May 2022. Alcaraz outlasted the legend and won in three sets. Tennis fans will be excited to watch Nadal compete. After he withdrew from the Australian Open last month due to a hip injury, Nadal has battled hip problems over the past year and, a, and, and had surgery, is being reported. He confirmed in a tweet before the Australian Open that he suffered another injury at the Brisbane International quarterfinal. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I also think Nadal played in Saudi Arabia and accepted a quick check uh, by the Saudis. So, again, I don't know about the legitimacy of his injury. I do not know, but it is quite questionable to see him compete at Saudi Arabia if that is true. Again, I don't want to accuse him of anything that he hasn't done, so I'll say allegedly. But, again, he allegedly played in Saudi Arabia. Uh, I liked, I, I like how I had to put allegedly in front of played in Saudi Arabia or just played in general because that's hilarious to me just being like, oh, he allegedly Play. Do you, did can you imagine that Rafa Nadal, one of the winningest players in Grand Slam history, played tennis? Guys, that is crazy. That is unfathomable to see a player who's won so many Grand Slams play tennis yet again. The the the, the audacity. You know, it's, it's not it's not that. It's that's not what I'm trying to say here. I'm saying that. The Saudi government is quite sus, to say the least, uh, if I can borrow my Zoomer language for a second. Uh, they've done a few questionable things in the past. Uh, I have saw a lot of backlash or outrage to Rafa Nadal doing something along with the Saudi government. Maybe I think it's for the Rafa Nadal Academy, the tennis academy that he runs, because uh, it is in debt. But uh, overall, um, again, it is what it is. I mean, you're going to see the intermingling of sports stars and athletes alongside with the Saudi government. It's just what it is. You saw with Ronaldo. Um, you, you've seen it with the undertaker when he presented the award at the soccer match. Um, you know, we've seen it time and time again. They just have oodles and oodles of money, uh, live golf as well. I'm sure they're going to do something with basketball. And I'm sure a lot of NBA players at some point or another will be enticed to compete for the Saudi league. You know, again, 
you got to be very motivated about money if that's the case, you know. But at the same time, like, how can you say no to that much money? Uh, but again, I do think that in terms of the amount of money that the NBA gives, there's a lot more sponsorship opportunities here in America than there is in Saudi Arabia. And there's a lot more freedom in America than there is in Saudi Arabia. So again, I don't, I don't really know about the, uh, the, the specifics of the Saudi deals, but I do think that if you're an American tennis player or American player in general, uh, it makes more sense to just compete in America. Obviously, don't say no to the money, but in terms of sponsorship opportunities, in terms of what you can market here, uh, I think it might be better if you just stay here uh, as opposed to performing in Saudi Arabia. But overall, um, I do have my thoughts about this. Um, as I've said before, um, I do. I, I mean, this is cool, right? I think if this gets more and more eyeballs to the sport, that's great. Um, but it does make me feel as if tennis is more desperate than it than it should be. Right, like you don't have this unless you feel in the back of your mind that oh maybe just maybe we're not doing as well as we want to, you know. Like I don't think the NBA would do this. Like I don't think the NBA would have like a one-on-one between Jason Tatum and lebron james like i don't think that that would be the case i don't think they would have like a one-on-one between sga and anthony edwards which i honestly think that would be great like if they had a one-on-one between sga and anthony edwards between shea gilgas alexander and anthony edwards that would be great it'll be i honestly much better than the dunk contest much better than the all-star game that's the one thing that they should add during all-star weekend i want to see one-on-one play between these basketball players and I want to see a tournament happen. Best of five, whatever it may be. But I think that that would be better. Just playing ISO ball the entire time. That's what these star players want to want anyways. So why not do it? Um, but overall, you know, this is not something that I, I, I think the NBA would ever do. I don't think this is something that the NFL would ever do. I don't even think this is something that the NHL or the MLB would do. Like even the bottom of the four top four leagues in America. I don't think that that's something that they would do. I just don't. I, I just don't think that having like an exhibition match between two teams that really don't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. I don't think that that's really that great. Um, I'm sorry. I, I just don't. You know, obviously with the NHL, they have the stadium series, right? So that's good. You know, I think that that gets more eyeballs, and it's great to see you know hockey fans tailgate before they enter a hockey game. That's hilarious to me. Um, but I don't think they would stoop to this level where they just have it on Netflix and just have like this exhibition. Um, you know, I, I just don't think that that's necessarily that's necessary. I, I just don't think that this is really that necessary. You know, I would much rather just wa- let them play at the Monte Carlo final, if they happen to reach at the Monte Carlo final, as opposed to watching this exhibition. Yeah, I, I really do think that watching a final at an AT1000 between these two players is way better than this exhibition. I really do think so. I'm not saying that they won't try. They definitely will try. If we've learned anything about Nadal and Federer when it was the king of services, that event... We know that they care. These tennis players do care. Even when the grass was horrendous and even though they, they did a horrible job at trying to maintain the grass at that court, both Federer and Nadal played lights out. 
and they gave their all in that match. So th- these two players are going to try. That's not the issue. The issue is I would much rather watch it at the final for Rome. I would much much rather watch this match happen at the final at Roland Garros, at Wimbledon, at Center Court, at Royal Labor Arena, at Arthur Ashe Stadium. That's what I want to watch on final Sunday, second week of a major at those courts. This is cool and all, right? I This is nice. You know, I'm sure they'll get, you know, 400, 500 grand to watch it. You know, that's nice. But at the same time, it's it will be much better if this happened on a bigger field, on a bigger state, with bigger stakes involved. And yeah, I mean, this is nice, cool, right? I'm sure people will watch it by the hundreds, but again i just think that there that there are issues with it and one of the issues is the fact that you have uh prakash amrataj uh, as your analyst no i'm kidding i'm i'm joking about that prakash is great okay prakash is great it's great to see people uh that share my same background uh be in those positions but uh no i mean in terms of the commentary team there's not really much of an issue there uh, Kay Adams, I, I mean, I think she's a good pick because I don't know. I, didn't, I never knew that she was into tennis. I thought she was just strictly a football girl. Um, but I think that often adds like a little bit more of a mainstream light. I don't, I don't know if Kay Adams is the person, but Hey, if you're going to like make this event an exhibition, just have celebrities there, you know, like have Spanish celebrities there, you know, have, I don't know, players that are from Spain and that can generate an audience and, and a fan base, you know, have David Silva. I mean, I don't know if David Silva is, I think he's Brazilian, so that may not be the right person to pick, but have, have somebody from Spain, you know, come in, you know, from the culture, you know, have some pop singer from Spain come in, have players from both Real Madrid and Barcelona to join and watch, you know, make this a dog and pony show because that's what it is, a dog and pony show. Have, have, I mean, have, play like Spanish music, you know, when they're uh, sitting down, you know, make sure that it's fun, that it's lively. Um, make sure you bring celebrities in to watch, you know, make sure you pay celebrities to watch, watch the show. Uh, because I'm pretty sure at Power Slap that happened like last week, uh, Dana White like paid a boatload of celebrities just to watch these two people get CTE. And it was hilarious that he literally, I'm pretty sure he pulled out everybody in his Endeavor card or in his Endeavor contacts to contact Travis Scott, Tom Brady, MGK, and a few others to just watch the event, which is hilarious to me. Like, why would you need celebrities to watch Power Slap? It makes no sense to me. Um, Anyways, Dana White is an interesting guy. Uh, Apparently, Dana White also walked out of Howie Mandel's interview Apparently, it was like a bit of a goof, a little bit of a gag, but still, I thought that was quite dumb on his part. The fact that he had to like stage a walkout just to get more eyeballs onto him. It's like, dude, like you run the UFC. It's a joke of a of a of a sport. MMA is a joke of a sport. The fighters are a joke are jokes of the sport. It, it, there's 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 no prestige to that sport. And I know I'm saying that while watching tennis, right? Like that, it's it's Paul calling the, the kettle black here. But still, I, I just 
I was watching the UFC on Saturday, and this is not that big of a spiel. It'll last for like less than two minutes. But I was watching the UFC on Saturday, and the just the forced politics in that sport. I know I criticize tennis here and there, right? And that's part of what I do. But it doesn't hold a candle to the UFC when it comes to the cringe and when it comes to the cringeness of things. I mean, I remember at one point, like there were these two fighters that were fighting on the main card. And one of them was like USA adjacent. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was USA adjacent. But for some reason, the crowd was just chanting USA, USA, USA. I'm like, why are you chanting that during a a MMA fight? Why? Like, there's no need to chant that at an MMA fight. I don't know. I just think that like the forced politics of it. I mean, I, I think I talked about the Sean Strickland thing as well. But this is why nobody takes the sport seriously. It's because, like, you hate on having people force their politics, especially when it's leftist politics, into the sport. But as soon as somebody says something that's, like, anti-PC or or, or pro-right-wing or what, what have you, or anything that's sort of, you know, patriotic in, in a sense, you know, people are completely fine with it. And it's just, like, both sides just need to, like, just stop. I know I sound like I'm being, like, a fence-sitter here or whatever. It may be that. I don't know. But both sides just need to stop and just let the sport happen, all right? MMA is a fun sport to watch when the right fighters are fighting. And when it turns into, like, a shit show, when it turns into a mockery, it's like, okay, like, what what are we doing here, guys? Like, this is why nobody takes the sport seriously. You know, when you have fighters, you know, in their post-fight interviews, you know, just hold up a Bible and just saying, this is truth, this is power, and and acting as, as if they're about to commit a Chris Benoit. It's like, what are we doing here? What is happening here? You know? But anyways, uh, I think that's it for, for, for my rant on that. Uh, let's get into our final topic for today. Uh, Madame Webb. I recently watched Madame Webb. And overall, it is a bad film. I mean, there's no two ways about it. It's, it's a bad film, and I, there's no way you can really defend it. There really isn't. Uh, there's so many points in this film where you just go like, what was what was the writing team thinking at this point? What was the director thinking at this point? What was the studio thinking? Because, again, like I know we talk a lot about like studio interference and like how studios can like interfere with the, with the artistic process of films. But in certain instances, studio interference is good. Sometimes getting a note is actually pretty good. In a lot of ways, it, it can actually help out your act. You know, I mean, I know this is kind of adjacent to like film, but in stand-up comedy, a lot of times stand-up comedians will appear on late night shows and they'll often do comedy at these late night shows. And obviously it's not the same as it once was, right? Like Getting on Fallon or getting on Colbert and doing comedy, it's not the same as getting on Carson or Letterman and getting a developmental, developmental deal right afterwards and getting a sitcom. It's not the same thing, right? But a lot of times when you do late night and when you do comedy on late night, you'll get notes as to what you can and cannot say. And a lot of times these notes can actually hurt the comedian and their art. But in certain instances, I do feel as if getting notes actually helps out the comedian because it makes him re- think certain ways to get to the punchline without swearing and sometimes a, a punchline that does not have feature swearing in my opinion can actually be funnier than a punchline that does feature swearing you know there are times where not swearing in a joke can actually elevate that joke and 
I know that you know it's a very you know apples to oranges comparison when it comes to movies and how studios interfere with movies but i think in a lot of ways you know notes are a good thing um but yeah this is one of those times where like there was just massive studio involvement in this film uh with the blatant you know advertisements to pepsi um i i hate to spoil the movie so you know spoiler alert so three two one Fast forward 15, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. But uh, at at the end of the film, the main character dies because the Pepsi logo kills him. I think the P in the Pepsi logo or the S in the Pepsi logo kills him. And that to me was hilarious. It was absolutely hilarious. That was the reason why he died. Um, so yeah, you're back to your regular schedule programming. But there were good points in the film. I, I mean, I thought... Dakota Johnson's awkward, dry humor. I, there were problems with it because it was done at times where you're like, okay, this is not necessary. But I thought it was hilarious. I mean, when she was at the baby shower at Emma Roberts's baby shower, and you know Emma Roberts is you know currently pregnant in the film, um, and she says to Emma Roberts that uh, her mom died during childbirth and it was awkward and tense. So I thought that was hilarious. I really liked it. Um, there were other moments in the film that I thought were great as well. I mean. When Dakota Johnson was eating Chinese food with another dude, uh, with her colleague of hers, and they were drinking Mountain Dew Code Red, uh, because this happens in uh, 2003, and Mountain Dew Code Red is, you know, the talk of the town. It's the talk of the business. You know, it, I mean, you're, you're not a true firefighter if you don't drink Code Red. But uh, I thought that was great. You know, I, I like the nice Code Red, you know, placement there. I, it's been a while since I've had Mountain Dew Code Red or any Mountain Dew products in general. I think I had like a Baja Blast like a few months ago when I was eating at Taco Bell. But that literally like that's the only time I really, really drink Mountain Dew is like when I'm like out and about, especially at Taco Bell and just drink Mountain Dew. Uh, but honestly, like I much rather prefer they drink like Mountain Dew Livewire because like when I think about the early 2000s, I think about the X Games. I think about, you know, I know the X Games still haven't, but like when I think about the early 2000s, I think about like, you know, skate culture and I think about you know, CKY, I think about Jackass, you know, I think about Livewire, and that's like one of, one of the things that I think about, you know, uh, when, you know, Tony Hawk did the 900, I think there was like a ad for Mountain Dew Livewire when he did the 900 at the X Games, so that's that's what I think about. Uh, but yeah, the film takes place in 2003, and uh, the main antagonist in the film is this guy that really keeps track of surveillance that's happening especially in 2003 where you know the nsa is you know running amok and he gets access to a bunch of things um again this is going to be spoiler talk so if you don't if if you haven't watched the film and if you're really into watching the film which i i don't know why you would but if you are then you don't have to watch the video all right you don't have to you know watch the rest of the film or the rest of this video they're watching right now um but at one point in the third act of the film, uh, Dakota Johnson's parents, her mom in particular, died in Peru um, while giving birth to her. So she goes back and retraces her footsteps to Peru, to the island, and to the exact location in which her mom died. And for some reason, the main antagonist of the film does not follow her to Peru. And you would think that he would because the main antagonist in the film was also the same person that killed Dakota Johnson's mom, that killed Cassie's mom. So you would think that, hey, like, 
since it's 2003, since security is everywhere, since, you know, the NSA keeps a track of its citizens, that you would also make sure that you track Dakota Johnson to not only kill her, but also the three people that you think are going to kill you in the future. Because that's one of the main plots in the film is that, like, the main villain in the in the arc, the main villain in the story is trying to kill these three uh, girls because they're afraid that these three girls will kill him in the future, which makes no sense in in my opinion. Uh, because not only that, but we're not even given a backstory on this guy. Like, what's his character character motivation? What's what is his arc? You know, uh, who is he? You know, what are his powers? You know, we're not really given any details about this main villain. We're not known about his come up. All about his come up. We don't know what made him turn and pivot into being a, a villain. All we know about him is that he was like this former scientist that, that now is this rich guy and who has an assistant. And for some reason, he likes to keep track of people. I don't know why, but he likes to keep track of people. Um, now, the one point in the film that I, I thought was uh, really, really great uh, in, in, a, in a lot of ways uh, was that at one point, at the end of it, uh, part of Madame Webb's arc is... One of the things that makes Madame Webb Madame Webb is that she's blind, and in the end, uh, Dakota Johnson goes blind and gets paralyzed because of the firework that she sets off, which I didn't know that could even happen. And quite frankly, it happens underwater. So, like, how does that happen? How does a firework go, go off in water that causes you to go blind and go paralyzed? Like, that makes no sense to me. There's so many issues with the film. At one point... At the end of the film, they use a scene from Spider-Man Two. In the film, they use a film twenty years ago to justify a scene that happens in the future. This actually happened in the film. There are a lot of issues with the film. Uh, there are so many issues. The entire first act is just Dakota Johnson just getting these these nightmares of things that are about to happen. And like I get it, like that's one of her superpowers. I get all that. But at one point, you're just like, okay, like what's real? What's a dream? Is this actually happening? Like, there's not that much need for like Inception levels of like thinking when it comes to this movie. Like, you should not be watching this film and thinking to yourself, okay, am I watching? Am I watching? Madame Webb, or am I watching a knockoff of a Christopher Nolan film without any of the writing, acting, uh, directing prowesses that we see in Christopher Nolan films? That's all. I mean, that's what the first act was. Uh, there was a lot of ADR as well. Bad ADR, especially for Tahar Rahim, uh, uh, the 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 main villain of, of the per of the the whole thing. Uh, bad ADR. A lot of bad audio dub recordings. I know they went back into the studio, had to change things. Um, but yeah, really, really bad on that part as well. Um, you know, I think I mentioned the Pepsi logo at one point. Um, yeah, just, just a bad movie all around. I mean, there's not really much to defend it. I mean, I know it's a bad movie because Dakota Johnson's press tour for this film has been cringe to say the least. She has not done a great job at promoting the film. And I get it, it's tongue in cheek. I, I understand that she doesn't want to really want to be a part of it. Apparently she fired her agent as soon as the trailer came out. Uh, but at the same time, like, I don't think Dakota Johnson is that good enough of an actor to justify hating the film or acting as, as if she's above the film. All right. She's in the Fifty Shades movies. All right. Like, this is not an actor that I, I view on the same caliber as, say, Emma Stone 
or say Margot Robbie or Florence Pugh. Like I don't view Dakota Johnson in that same light. I'm sure she's had a few good movies. I mean, Suspiria, pretty good movie. But other than that, I mean, I, I, I think, in my opinion, and this is my opinion, all right, take it with a grain of salt, hate on it all you want. But I, I feel like she's one of those cases where I where there are negatives to the Nepo Baby discourse. Like, usually, I like I don't really like the Nepo Baby discourse because there are some good act like people that were a causation of Nepo Babies. I mean, Michael Jackson is one of the biggest Nepo Babies ever, and he's one of the most successful artists of all time and one of the most talented people of all time ever. You know, he's an example of one, and he he was able to do it to the best of his ability. Uh, Nora Jones, another example of a person who's a Nepo Baby, but still really good. Sofia Coppola, another Nepo Baby. I mean, these are some great, a talented women, including Michael Jackson, who's obviously a woman, uh, that are great Nepo babies. They are great. But at the same time, there are there are moments where you're like, okay, this is a point where I'm like, okay, I can see why they only got this because of their family bud. And Dakota Johnson is one person in particular where I just don't understand why she keeps getting roles when she's a mid-actor. When she's not even that good at being an actor. When time and time again, she's just playing an extension of what I see in her in interviews. All right. That's all she does in, in, in these films. She's just playing a, an extension of what she does in these interviews. And that's not a good actor to me. Like, I'm sorry. That's just not. I'm sorry. Just because you were ruffling feathers with Ellen DeGeneres, that doesn't mean that I should automatically like you. Just because you corrected Ellen DeGeneres and said that, you were invited to my party, but you didn't show up. That shouldn't justify me liking you. That shouldn't. So yes, obviously Dakota Johnson is not happy with the film. But at the same time, have you seen her filmography? This is in line with her. Okay, this is what she does. She picks trashy scripts and then justifies it by finding her agents or by saying, oh, I thought I was a part of the MCU. I thought I was a part of, with Elizabeth Olsen. And maybe she was. Maybe she thought she was. But at the same time, sometimes you got to, maybe the issue is you. You know, maybe the issue is you. If you're picking all these trashy movies and if you're, you know, getting mad and, and wimpy that, you know, they're getting February releases and that, you know, they're getting trashed at the box office or on Rotten Tomatoes. And if this is a reoccurring thing with you, maybe it's you. Okay, maybe it's you. And again, I, I don't hate Dakota Johnson. Okay, like the, a lot of the dry humor in the scene or in these scenes were great. I liked it. I liked the dry humor that Dakota Johnson had in these films. Honestly, I thought that dry humor really saved the film. That scene in particular with Emma Roberts, hilarious. I loved that scene. But at the same time, there were... There are times, especially, where you're just like, okay, the acting is just flat here. And again, there's nothing that Dakota Johnson could really do. I mean, the script is so bad that, like, the fact that it got past, like, editing and, and to the point where, like, people were actually actively putting this into production, I thought it was dumb. But at the same time, like, the acting is just bad. I mean, it's just bad. I mean, everyone is bad in acting. Sydney Sweeney, bad actor in this film bad actor and she's good in euphoria she's good in and anyone but you i thought she really handled the cheesiness and the dialogues of that movie pretty well for, for anyone but you but man oh man this film not great not good whatsoever um 
yeah, I mean, overall, there are, there are issues with the film. And, yeah, I mean, there's not much I can really say about it besides that. Uh, don't watch it. Don't really watch This is one of the worst superhero movies I ever watched because I was just utterly bored by it after 20 minutes. After 20 minutes, I'm like, I, I gotta, I gotta, like... I gotta watch the film because obviously I want to cover it for the podcast, but I also want to like just play, you know, some. Remember that bowling game where you like you had the polar bears and like the polar bears like were like the bowling balls and you could like hit the hit the you know pins. I felt like that. I felt like playing that game. I felt like playing that game. To be honest with you, um, before I end, I do want to mention Stuckman's uh, non-review review of the film. So Chris Tuckman actually did watch the film, reviewed on his, on his podcast, and didn't give it a, a rating. Uh, instead, went after the studios for making the film. And um, I, I don't necessarily hate on him for doing that. I think that that is a completely rational thing to do. I saw a lot of hate on Stuckman for saying that or doing that and implying that, hey, like, you know, just because you criticize a film that doesn't mean it's a bad thing if anything you wanted to succeed and do well and yeah i do agree with that i do agree with that uh with that notion and with that with that uh belief but at the same time i do think that with segment he was a filmmaker at one point and i think that when you are a filmmaker or when you make music or when you do comedy like i do and it, it puts things into perspective and it makes you sort of appreciate the hard work and dedication to the craft that filmmakers put in on a consistent level to release their projects. And yes, there were times in this film where studio involvement got in the way of things. And there's been a lot of bad writing and a lot of bad directing. But at the same time, like I also do appreciate people who make things because I, I realize how difficult it is to like release something and make and have the whole world judge you for it like i i've been in that position before not the whole world for me not the whole world but having friends family members judge you uh for things that you put out like i've been in that position before and and i've been criticized for that and i'm still getting criticized to this day especially in comedy uh for jokes that i tell so because of that it makes me put things in perspective you know that's why like when it comes to comedy like i'm a little bit more I won't say sensitive, but I, I am definitely more open to comedians telling jokes that I, for one, don't really find that funny because at the end of the day, if it makes the crowd laugh or if it took them a while to get to that joke, like how can I possibly criticize them? You know, like, I mean, obviously I can't criticize them. I, I, I can't. I, I can do that. But at the same time, like I've also been in that same position as well. You know, that's why I, I've been a little bit more... I wouldn't say lenient on comedians, but when it comes to their specials, especially with the younger, with like the more inexperienced comics or comics that haven't really been in the game for 10, 15 years or don't have that much money to their name, image, or likeness, you know, that's why, like, for those comedians in particular, like, I am a bit more open to imperfection. And yeah, I mean, I don't really hate on Stuckman for doing that. I really don't. I think that's totally fine for him to give a non review of the film. You know, because he's been in that same position before. So uh, overall, Madame Webb, I wouldn't really watch it if I were you. Um, this is just as bad, if not worse, than a bunch of those early 2000 superhero movies. Um, I still prefer watching Fantastic Four in 2004, 2005, or this film. I'd still watch that film. I'd still watch Daredevil over this film. Um, I'd still watch X-Men Origins Wolverine. I'd still watch Morbius, because at least with Morbius, like... 
it was camp, it was cheesy, it was corny, but it knew it was camp and it was corny. I would still watch the first Venom movie with Tom Hardy over this film because at least with that film, Tom Hardy really played an, ex an exaggerated version of that character. And I think that's fine. That's completely fine to do. Uh, but overall, those are my thoughts on the film. What are your thoughts on the film? Uh, and other than that, guys, I think that's it for the podcast for today. So, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you follow me on my Twitter or, sorry, my X, my Instagram, and my TikTok at AJTucker, A-J-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R underscore at the end. Uh, and that's my handle for all my uh, profiles. Um, other than that, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you guys on Thursday. We'll talk more about things that are happening in the societal realm of, thing, of, of, of this world and also tennis. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you guys. My life is so much better when I don't focus on politics. It's not even funny. All right, guys, thanks so much. I'll see you guys on Thursday. Peace. See y'all.